0: The only purpose of the Talking Space Podcast is to educate and to inform. The
1: views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose of you awesome. on the good one. small step for man, one giant leap
2: mankind.
0: And welcome to Talking Space number 233 for the week of September 29th, 2010. Uh, My name is Gene McCalka, and uh, we're light two people tonight, unfortunately, one due to illness, one due to family concerns. But I am here with Mr. Mark Ratterman. Good evening, sir. Boy, if we could have unlimited hours in a day, we'd have it made, but uh, (laughs) we'll pretty
2: much have to go with the 24 we got and do the best we can. That's right.
0: Um, Just to let everybody know, Sawyer Rosenstein, who's usually the host of the program, he's unfortunately a little under the weather, and we wish him that. I wish to him all the best and want him back in the uh, in the chair here as soon as possible. And Gina's got some family concerns going on right now, so uh, she'll go ahead and take care of those, and uh, she'll be back with us next week. Anyway, we've got one heck of a show opened up, up for you tonight. Uh, Mark, you had a very interesting experience last Monday, and you really got to tell us all about it. About it, um, you were at the uh, the rollout for uh, STS-133 back on September 20th, correct? Sure enough, actually, a
2: couple of events there. Uh, the 20th was the rollout that evening, and NASA scheduled it at 8 o'clock. And they picked that family friendly time because, as they uh, near the end of the program, they wanted the families of the NASA employees and contractors to have the chance to come see it roll out. Because usually it's around the, the midnight hour, it's in the wee hours of the, the night that it comes out. And so just before sunset, I think the first movement was, uh, I want to say, 723. I know that I noticed it from the press site where I was at looking across the way to the VAB. Uh, I saw a movement a little bit after that where I realized that it was inching its way out. And uh, it was a great time. There were hundreds, hundreds of uh, the NASA family that were there to see it. And, uh, you know, I, I envy them. The the uh, the great viewing location that they had because they were uh, right across the street from the crawlerway and uh, but you know I can think of no no better benefit of a job than than being able to see something like that and so anyway yes I was there and and saw the shuttle roll out my very first roll out and uh, it was quite a it was quite a time it surprised me. Not to see the shuttle stack on the mobile launch platform and on the crawler and on its way, but to see how slowly it moved. Uh, The excitement was knowing where it was headed and the mission that would be coming with launch on November 1st. Uh, That's the excitement, but the excitement too, seeing it there in, you know, uh, heavy metal, you know. <laughs> it, it really was there. It really is real, and it goes really slow. <laughs> so. Also got to interview uh, one of the NASA uh, flow control. Uh, boy, that's the wrong term. Help me out, Gene. <laughs> the
0: Na- the uh, uh, NASA flow director, I believe.
2: Flow director. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Stephanie Stilson. And, uh, we've got some clips on that, that we're going to play, but, um, it was interesting to see that after an hour, and they had it lit up with some super bright floodlights and, uh, with me not being a photographer, you know, I'll apologize in advance. If anybody saw the one photo that I put out on Twitter, that was with a point and shoot. I did the best I could, (laughs) but, uh, man, it was brightly lit and the pros took some outstanding shots. Take a look at uh, mediaarchive.ksc.nasa.gov, and you can see all the pictures that you would love to see.
0: Indeed, and I thought it was really, really a, a neat uh, neat thing to do um, on NASA's part to go ahead and, and schedule this rollout a little earlier than normal because of the fact that uh, uh, you have a whole bunch of folks that want to go ahead and share this moment with their families uh, this that kind of was a, a neat, uh, neat thing to do and, and a, a real classy thing to do on, on, on NASA's part. So um, you spent some time with with uh, with Ms. Um, You want to go ahead and talk about about that a little bit, and then uh, uh, play your your time with, uh, with her and the questions that were asked and so on. What, what, but first off, what was the mood before we go even go on to that? What was the mood over there? Was it was it sort of a, what kind of atmosphere was it over there? Well, the, the people
2: that I was around, which is some of the press that have been there, uh, you know, a number of times for for events like this, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were, they were ready. They weren't going to miss this. They definitely weren't going to miss anything. But it was relaxed, and that's, I think, due to the fact that uh, they've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, but certainly not with the next to the last scheduled shuttle mission. Now, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead, sir. Uh, just a little bit about Stephanie Stilson. Um, She's the NASA flow director, like we said, and her her ship is Discovery, and she's been on the job for 10 years. Uh, She's responsible for integrating, scheduling, and conducting the processing operations for Discovery. She started in December of 2000. Uh, She's got quite a team that's part of that operation, and I think I got some questions that will shed a little light on the quality of the the NASA workforce. She's done an, an incredible amount of uh, of different things. She's been an experiment engineer. She worked on procedures to check out space lab. This is from ninety seven to ninety nine. She worked on uh, the ESA's electromagnetic containerless processing facility on the microgravity science laboratory one and MSL two. She worked on some experiments for JPL, a U.S. microgravity payload, and a uh, agency of, of the, the Japanese Space Agency, an experiment that worked on vestibular function. In other words, your your balance, your sense of, of movement. Um, she worked as a test engineer for the International Space Station, electrical power and distribution systems. She's a really sharp lady, and... Uh, it, I guess that's what you have to be is somebody that's sharp in a lot of different things, a lot of experience to do the job that she does. So how about we play uh, some of those clips from talking to her because the um, the rollout is the culmination of a lot of things that have, have brought it to that point where she's ready to go to the pad. And uh, let's go ahead and, and
3: run that. I'm here with Stephanie Stilson, the flow director for Discovery. And I've learned quite a bit just in the last uh, few months about how complex uh, this business is. And one of the questions I've got is, since you started working in the job that you have, has the job become uh, more or less complex? Has it become easier? Or just do the the things that have your your focus change over time
1: right right uh for me my job probably feels a little easier just because i've been doing it since 2000 so i'm more comfortable with with what i'm doing now from a vehicle processing perspective it's become more complex especially since we had the accident we had new modifications and things that were done differently and new testing that we do every time and inspections and things like that so from a vehicle perspective um it's it's gotten a little more difficult but then again um we've been doing it for a while since return to flight so uh, i feel we've pretty much got that down pat too
3: We uh, interviewed Dr. Tom Jones from earlier in the shuttle program, and I believe it was him that described the shuttles as pristine Is that an assessment that you would agree with?
1: Pristine. No, I would not, because the orbiters themselves have been through a lot. They've flown a long time. Um, If you look at the outside, the the, the white isn't real gleaming white anymore. I think that's kind of something that surprises folks when they finally get a chance to see it up close. So pristine would not be a word that I would use, but I don't know that it needs to be pristine. Um, I definitely think that it's a very capable vehicle. I think that it's operating very well. Um, and I think that uh, its usefulness is still there. So we're looking forward to a very successful mission of proving that one more time.
3: A member of our team, Gene McCulka, he, he had a question that he passed on to me today. He said, what, what might be going through your mind when Discovery lands and you do the post-landing walk around knowing that it's headed for a museum? I guess that's really at some point, not necessarily right away, though.
1: Right. And that's, that's going to be a hard time for me. Definitely. I'm, I'm not really facing the reality of this being the last rollout tonight, even though I know it is, I've tried not to really focus on that too much. But, yes, after, after our final mission and, and landing, it'll become a little more emotional for me, I'm sure. I am working on the plans for transition and retirement, which is what will get Discovery into a position that it can be ferried to its display site. So we have a lot of work to do for that. So I've been focusing on, on the planning for that now in addition to the work we're doing to, to get ready for this this flight. Um, so I'll have plenty of work to keep me busy and keep that off my mind. I think the emotional, the hardest emotional point would be when we leave it at the display site. Um, because at that point, it, it, it really hit home that, that Discovery is no longer going to be here with us at Kennedy Space Center.
3: I kind of like the idea of having a, uh, whether it be an aircraft or a spacecraft or even cars, but having something that you know has run and has has done its intended job, and you can still look at it and see it not as a mock-up, but as the real real McCoy.
1: Absolutely. And we're really doing our best to keep the vehicle as flight-like as we can for the public so they can see it that way. Now, there's some things that we have to do to make it safe because there are hazardous commodities on the orbiters, and we don't want any way to jeopardize public safety. So we have to go in and and do a lot of flushing of systems and cutting out of tanks and lines and things like that. But that's all internal, so you really wouldn't see that anyway. Um, But we want to keep it as genuine as we can, so way off in the future if anybody wants to go snoop around you know, and see how an orbiter was built. We want it to look like it did when it flew. So that's our plan.
3: It's amazing how quick you lose the details from the experience that you have day to day. Sure. One last question. I'm curious with um, with the things on people's minds that, that work on the shuttle for the past year, the the announcement by the president that uh, that the program was definitely coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are there parts of your job and parts of things that are on your mind that relate to morale to to keep morale up, or does the workforce just end up in a in a positive state on their own? Um,
1: a little bit of both. It's definitely on my mind. It's definitely something that I focus on, which is is something new for me because I've never been through the end of a program of, of this size. So, um, and a, mostly a lot of my best friends work for the contractor, and so I get to to know what they're going through by talking to them and how they feel with that. Um, so there's, there's a couple aspects. Of course, I, I'm concerned about the workforce in the sense of, of how they're handling it personally. Secondly is how they're handling things at work and the safety of the vehicle and, and the things that we do here. Um, so together that's really been my focus for my team. And then the amazing thing is I've really seen them stay very positive. I and mean, most folks here want to stay till the end, uh, whatever that means, they want to be here to the end. And so that's a testament to the, the fact that they love their job so much. So I have lost some very good people to other opportunities. And I understand that. I don't, like it because i'd love to have them stay and i knew they wanted to stay but they needed to look out for their families and their forward planning and um, they took opportunities that were good challenges for them so i wish them the well the, the most uh, success with that but um the folks that are still here working very dedicated very focused uh, but i think a lot of them treated like me they're really not um thinking about it being the end they're just going to work up until the end until somebody tells them to stop so that's that's really the the positive spin they're putting on it which i think is great
3: just by way of trivia, I work for the Federal Aviation Administration. I'm an electronics technician, and it, it tends to be a very gung-ho, we can do it no matter how difficult or impossible. That tends to be the attitude of the workforce that I've been associated with for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And yet on a recent survey, I see where NASA, I believe, was rated number five or three of, um, of large-type, agencies, organizations to work for. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the FAA, unfortunately, was far, far, far down the list. So right, right. congratulations on being a part of such a wonderful organization that, that does such an excellent job. And thank, thank you, you for your time.
1: Absolutely. We're very proud to be here. I'm very proud to represent Discovery's team. Um, they're great people. They do great work and uh, just great folks to work with on a daily basis. So thank you for your interest.
2: And that was our discussion. Uh, you know, we're talking about the rollout from the VAB to the pad. The next morning, which was Tuesday morning, September 21st, we had a uh, photo opportunity of Discovery out at the pad. So I was out there with a multitude of uh, top-notch photographers and me with my little point-and-shoot and (laughs) and was still, still thrilled to be there to see the shuttle on the pad. And she wasn't just sitting there twiddling her thumbs, there were crews that were out there working. You could hear noises of of work and activity, and uh, it was it was quite a uh, quite an event. And I think I know. By the way, I know who actually owns the uh, ground that Pad Thirty Nine A sits on.
0: Oh, do tell! Besides, I I thought everybody that listening to this sort of sort of did actually any any excuse me any uh, U.S. taxpayer did.
2: Sure, you you would naturally think the taxpayers of the United States, right? No, uh, -uh. it's the mosquitoes. Let me tell
0: you, (laughs) (laughs) that's very true.
2: (laughs) It's the mosquitoes i uh <laughs> I got I got yeah i'm a, I okay here i 've said this before i 'm a Florida boy all my life, I know Florida, I know mosquitoes, I know coastal areas that 's why I live inland, but um dog, gone if i didn't get out of the vehicle and stand there, and one of the media escorts looking out for us all the time, bless them, uh, said you got mosquitoes all over you, you better put some spray on if you don't have it already, and I looked, and there was about three on the upper part of my chest and Two or three more circling for a spot on my hand, and holy cow, oh, but uh, discovery discovery seems to be bug proof because i didn 't see any flinching <laughs> or swatting happening you know up there on the pad, so um, that, that was that was a uh, historic occasion, and i 'm thankful for the opportunity to have been there and to give you some little first hand impressions of my own.
0: But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yes. Let's go. Where where are we going um, next? We're 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 gonna fast forward uh, to yesterday uh, as we record this on uh, September 28th of uh, of the wonderful year 2010. External tank number one twenty two, which is the final external tank, to, not the not the final external tank to come off the line. This one was sort of an interesting case, but this is the final external tank to arrive at the Kennedy Space Center, and you were there for that as well. So, one of you, if I'm going to throw it back over to you there, and, and you know, kind of sort of tell us why um, external tank number one twenty two has got a little bit of a special story behind it. Well,
2: 122, uh, and let me me make reference to who I got some of this information from. The External Tank Solid Rocket Booster Vehicle Manager is a woman named Alicia Mendoza. And she spoke to us in the press center and answered questions. And she told us that uh, External Tank 122 was completed and signed over to NASA in 2002. So how come an 8-year-old tank is actually the last tank to come to Kennedy and uh, and it's destined to fly with STS-134 Endeavour in February of 2011. So why is the tank from 2002 coming? Well, people probably know some of these details but uh, this small event called Hurricane Katrina and New Orleans and the Michoud Assembly Facility, uh, this tank was damaged in Hurricane Katrina. The uh, the descriptions that I that I read about what happened was that uh, pieces of concrete panels came down from the roof of the building, bounced off the building structure, and pieces hit the tank. So they sidelined that tank because they had other tanks that were in work manufacturing and production that weren't damaged. And basically what the Michoud folks did was, was take 122, set it to the side, evaluate it, determine that uh, – Within a few, I think three weeks after the hurricane, they did some inspections, and they said the tank had damage, but it was repairable. They came up with a plan for it. Uh, it in fact, I even see a, a comment that not even a contour of the tank was changed. So they had foam damage. They had some concerns about the, um, the umbilicals and, and water that uh, got in some areas, but it was determined that it didn't penetrate past seals. They replaced some components. They did some foam work. And so here you are with 122 being the last tank that was actually finished. And my understanding is that, uh, as kind of a send off, the crew that, that works on these at Michoud, they took and made a special logo that's on an intertank flight door. And we'll have a picture of it in our show notes, but it was a hand painted logo and it shows the space shuttle, uh, you know, in flight. And the swirl of a hurricane in the kind of the background of it. And uh, and Alicia Mendoza said that this was the first time that the intertank flight door had had this kind of a hand-painted logo on it. And uh, uh, I, I think it's extraordinary. Again, it's a historic event, and it's part of the impossibility of how things happen with NASA, that, you know, they take adversity – Life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, and they got a tank that's going to fly and gives us one more mission, potentially, depending on some events in Washington, D.C., tonight as we speak, hopefully the 29th of September. It's interesting that when the tank was damaged, the Michoud Assembly facility was actually backlogged with tanks that they had in production, and so that's how it ended up being set off to the side. It was up to spec for return to flight, and they've done some additional modifications. I think there may be some small differences between it and 138, but the uh, Alicia Mendoza that I was talking to, the vehicle manager, she said that, uh, let me find my little note here, she said she was fully confident in ET-122 and the repairs that were made. So... It's ready to go. Uh, she commented about some foam repairs that were made, that the tank looked different, because one, uh, one of the folks that was there asked her, well, what's your first impression when it came off the Pegasus barge at the turning base and then uh, was ready to roll over to the VAB? And she said, the thing that strikes you first is it looks different. The most striking thing is that um, compared to the other tanks that, that they've seen so many times is the color." She said it's a very burnt orange and a dark orange. It's normally a very light orange when it comes to KSC, and that the uh, foam actually oxidizes and changes to the nice pretty orange color that we typically see out on the pad. Well, this tank already has that pretty orange color as it came off the barge. And in describing the foam damage that it had from Hurricane Katrina, she said really it was less damage than with the... The uh, shuttle that was out at the pad where the main tank was damaged by hail a few years ago, so it was actually less damage than the, the work that had to be done on that tank. Wow. And a couple of, couple of bigger areas, but nothing really significant about it. A couple more notes from uh, from that discussion. Uh, her job is to keep hardware on time to arrive at KSC. You know, she's responsible for... for The integration overall of the tank, the SRBs, so she's talking to folks in Utah with ATK. She's talking to Lockheed Martin at Michoud. She's talking to elements of NASA at the Marshall Space Flight Center. And uh, she gets it all together, and her responsibility for processing goes to meeting all the milestones that you can imagine with that process through launch. So she's not done yet. She's still got uh, this ET-122 and the the other the other vehicles to be responsible for she said that she's very focused on her job she's uh she's not really thinking about it and uh it's the same comment that we've that we've heard and it's i think classic for the nasa and the contractors is that uh they're going to stay with it till the end and uh my hat's off to him this this kind of says a little bit too she said she's excited that it's the last tank, but it really brings home the, real, the reality that it is the last tank that they're going to receive at KSC. Yeah, uh, I was
0: I was waiting for something like that. Actually. I, I thought about the Pegasus
2: barge. I took some pictures of it sitting there empty after the tank had rolled off. And uh, actually yesterday, because of weather concerns and another event that was supposed to happen first and the external tank roll off the barge was supposed to happen second, they had to bring the... They had to move the, the tank roll-off ahead of schedule to beat the weather, and it's a good thing they did because probably within less than two hours, the bottom fell out of the sky, and, uh, it, you know, it, they're, they're smart about, uh, about weather and when they can do stuff, but um, I was at the other event, so I missed seeing it, you know, roll off and being tugged over to the VAB, but uh, we got some pictures of it, and I think they're pretty
0: impressive. Um that plaque I'm looking at it right now on the access door is that going to stay on the external tank or is that going to be removed and put into some sort of museum somewhere or or uh or nope. will it will that will that lovely piece of artwork just basically get burned up over the Indian Ocean
2: that that one of a kind artwork is going where I don't imagine too many other pieces of art have gone before it's going to space
0: Okay, so it's, to space okay, so it's it, it, it's destiny then is to also we will probably lose it over the Indian Ocean, unfortunately, but uh uh we will definitely get that piece of artwork up there because it's it's real I'm looking at it right now, it's really pretty um, again, mark, beautiful stuff,
2: <laughs> yeah, we need to uh of course, Sawyer will hear this, but uh you know he he loves endeavor. And Endeavor's going to have to do some working out and get buff because that tank's got a nice tan already. <laughs> don't don't want to get
0: upstaged by your external tank when you're out there on the pad, you know. Uh, you know, in, in Sawyer's defense and in mine too. Endeavor, I, I have a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a relationship with when, when Endeavor. I saw her being constructed when she was over in Palmdale back in the 90s. And uh, um, I, I remember seeing her just simply as an airframe. And that was really about it. So um, I'm sure Endeavor is going to be up to the up to the task, and will perform her last mission yeah. in uh, in smashing fashion. Uh, she's got a very special mission too, as we discussed in the previous episode as well. So, um, well, we, just, yeah, go ahead, sir. I, I was just going to
2: say you want to want to leave a little teaser here about what we're going to talk about next week, because there's really more to to what I experienced uh, yesterday at the Cape. But uh, I don't that's want to let the cat very, out of the bag totally.
0: That's very true, Mark. If you want to just go ahead and, and kind of leave a little hint as far as what you were doing right after the uh, uh, the uh, external tank arrival, please do. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. we will definitely be talking about this because um, it, it's 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 well deserved.
2: Yeah, I missed the tank event, but uh, ARF, ARF. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's an acronym. I'll translate it. (laughs) ARF stands for Assembly and Refurbishment Facility. It's where the SRBs, when they come to the Cape from uh, Utah, our work is completed to prepare them for uh, assembly and to prepare them for flight. And uh, the ARF is something that we're going to talk about next time. They had some ceremonies. They had some VIPs. We're talking, well, I don't want to drop names, but, you know, some... Some top people in the SRB program, some top folk from Kennedy Space Center, and a couple of astronauts that had some firsthand experience of what it's like to ride those solids for the first two and a half minutes. So uh, we got some good stuff coming. So come back and see us, y'all. And I think at that point we ought to continue with all the more current news outside of uh, Kennedy specific. What do you think?
0: That sounds like an idea there, Mark. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to that that uh, discussion a little later. That's going to be kind of fun. Um, we uh, we had a change of command over at the uh, International Space Station this week. Uh, Expedition 24 has uh, arrived. She came that that flight uh, uh, came back home uh, on September 25th, if I'm not mistaken. She was a little day late. Mm. Uh, carrying, uh, uh, Tracy Caldwell Dyson, uh, Mikhail, uh, oh boy, I'm going to maul these, li- I'm going to maul these last names. <laughs> Mikhail Kornienko. Thank you. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll let you take the Russian names, Mark. I'm going to maul them. It's a shame for, for a good, for, for, for somebody of Polish a to say that he can't say Russian names. <laughs> Need more practice. I think we'll probably yes, get exactly. that in the years to come though. You know, Exactly. Um, so, uh, so, anyway, uh, expedition 2024 20, landed a, a day late, but, uh, they landed, uh, in the, uh, 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 the Kazakhstan desert, uh, Saturday, Saturday, September 25th. Um, and, uh, all's well that ends well for, uh, expedition 24 and expedition 25 with, uh, Doug Wheelock at the helm is, uh, currently, uh, in work, currently in work, um, why was, Mark, why was there the, a the, uh, delay with uh, uh, the uh, uh, separation of uh, the Soyuz from the ISS? I'm just curious.
2: Well, it, it, this is something we've heard about, but it's something that just, just a little further discussion on it. It was a day late because of a hatch sensor problem. And uh, from a, a NASA newsletter here, I see that the problem prevented hooks on the Poisk side of the docking mechanism from opening. Now, they reached the point where they said, okay, we're going to have to wave off undocking for 24 hours, look into this, and see what we can do. And give the engineers credit, they came up with a solution. But, um, you know, working with electronics and working with systems that you have interlocks, you have things that are there for two reasons, to keep you safe and to keep the equipment safe. Now, I certainly don't know even the 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 tip of the iceberg I couldn't even describe you know their uh, their their hatch and docking mechanisms, but apparently they installed a series of jumper cables to bypass the sensor, and when they did the following day when they undocked the the poisk module looks retracted but uh, you know I guess that's a good solution to a problem, but it kind of scares me to have to do uh that that kind of thing. Now, I did see later that uh, they saw the, the, the jam was due to um, something in or near the mechanism that was stopping it from working. Oh, a loose piece of gear near the hatch. So perhaps that's all it was, and they just missed it, and there was no no way around it. I'm glad they had a successful undocking and. For for sure, glad they had a good landing.
0: What implications do you think this is going to have for the future? I mean, is this uh, this isn't the first time this has happened? I understand um, where they've had an issue like this, and does this kind of throw um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, does this throw an ugly light at the Soyuz a little bit and saying, uh, guys, maybe we ought to ought to kind of look at what's going on here because again, they're going to be in the driver's seat for at least another three four four, five years.
2: That's true. And, uh, you know, you look at Soyuz and you say, well, it's a mature spacecraft, but it, it still has things that can go wrong. And uh, it kind of concerns me, but it's the it's the only game in town. Once we get past 2011, there will be no more shuttle. There are no more tanks. And uh, I read, a, this is just a side note that, to throw in that uh, isn't in our notes for tonight, but I read an article that said that the Soyuz spacecraft is going to have be upgraded and it'll increase their payload by 70 kilograms. And the upgrade, if you hadn't heard about this, it replaces the onboard command and control systems with a new digital command and control system. So they get an extra 70 kilograms of, uh, of payload capability by replacing what they describe as a argon analog system that has been used for more than 30 years i'm sorry when i hear the word analog (laughs) and being replaced with a digital command and control system it's almost like they have gone from uh cassette tape eight track days (laughs) to, to an ipod Uh, right i mean we're 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 not talking one generation of of technology we're talking multiple multiple generations of of upgrades that um they just now made so we'll see how that goes that's going to be in a new soyuz tma01 mike tma01m it's going to replace the soyuz tma that have been used up until now and um what I'm missing here is when they're going to first use that. It's sometime in 2011. I'm losing the date, but we'll find, uh, we'll find more discussion on that as we get closer.
0: Sounds good. Um, I, I wonder, too, though, is this something that uh, uh, maybe NASA had a hand in and requested that they do, or was this something that they just saw as a necessary upgrade um, again, I mean the Soyuz has been around since what shoot since nineteen sixty seven really um, so i 'm kind of wondering if this is something that uh, NASA was asking for, or was this something that uh, you know uh, the Russian space agency said yeah let 's fix this thing so um, I, I should do some digging around with that. I understand, too, there was a, a little bit of a change of command ceremony before everybody left with uh, Doug Wheelock taking command of uh, Expedition 25. And uh, you had an observation, Mark, that uh, you recall from uh, uh, your time at NASA headquarters when T.J. Kramer did his uh, presentation um, on life on the uh, International Space Station. Correct. So. Want to go ahead and share that? It had something. Yeah, I think it had something to do with the uh, change of command, or just you know, how that whole thing goes. And so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, T.J.
2: Kramer, who was also Army, go Army! And by the yeah. way,
0: Doug, Doug Wheelock, I
2: read, is the first active duty Army officer to be in command of the ISS. So that's very uh, true. Spreading the glory around. That's that's a that's a you know good good mark for all of us. Um, anyway, back to T.J. Kramer at the tweet up in end of July at, at NASA headquarters. He made the statement that crew departure is an emotional moment. He said, you've been working with people for an extended period of time, and you really have some bonds from working together for that long. He said that um, once you close the hatch, it leaves three people on board. And he he related it as being almost a, a kind of a rite of passage he said, you own the station, and you're responsible for doing everything. He said, it's a bit of a confidence builder, too, because you become the senior folks when the new crew comes up. And uh, by the way, here where I was talking about the uh, digital command and control system on the Soyuz, that's going to be on the Soyuz that launches October 8th. So Ooh. so there's, uh, you know, <laughs> going backwards to to come back to T.J. Um You know, when you think about it, there's six of you, and now there's three. The house has gotten a lot emptier all of a sudden. And, um, you know, I can't help but think that if anything goes wrong, that uh, you get your name tagged to it. Like, well, why did you break the ISS? We left it in (laughs) perfectly good shape. How could you do this? So uh, I hope Doug Wheelock and the rest of the crew has a uh, smooth couple weeks until their uh, crew goes back up to full strength with six.
0: There's some other sort of ISS-related news um, running around. Uh, last week, um, there, there was a delay. I believe the European Space Agency had announced that uh, there's going to be a slight delay with uh, their second ATV, correct, if I'm not mistaken?
2: Yeah, and I've, uh, I've lost the details on that. Can you fill me in, and maybe I can find a little tidbit to add in a second?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the article now. This was um, a uh, Space News article dated uh, 21 September 2010. Um, I believe the delay uh, was a, a range conflict uh, between a commercial and, and some commercial and government contractors that, uh, uh, that used the same, same booster, the same vehicle. And uh, so the ATV is just simply just going to have to wait its turn. It's not a technical issue, uh, but I'm kind of wondering: is this sort of like the wave of the future? You know, when, when you when you've got some got a cargo waiting for the ISS, is this something that's that's just going to say, well, you're going to have to wait your turn in line, and uh, uh, that'll be that? So I'm kind of wondering if that's going to going to have any uh, any implications down the road.
2: Yeah, and it. it kind of brings to mind something we're going to be talking about here in a minute, that just how complex the whole business of spaceflight is. As much as you'd like it to be, okay, we've got the machine built, the pad's clear, let's put it on the pad and launch it, there's, there's so many complications. You've got to have clearances from other spacecraft that are docked at the ISS. You've got to have the, the whole launch and, and those uh, parts of the orbital mechanics,
0: everything work out right and uh, delays speaking of which um, and I know oh boy I can already see the letters coming now um, uh, SpaceX announced uh, this past week that there is going to be a delay with uh, the dragon test flight uh, they' Didn't exactly go into any, a lot of details. We understand, you know, we can understand why, um, but I believe their next target date for launch, and I believe that was just announced just today, is November eighth. Um, that's also predicated on the fact that uh, that STS one thirty three uh, leaves the range uh, on time on November first. Um, this way. This way, after that, after uh, Discovery is clear, um, they'll have the range and uh, uh, they can go ahead and do it what, what they need to do. Um, to uh, uh, specify again, you know, I, I don't know what, what the deal is, but once more, this is a development vehicle. And uh, a lot hinges on Dragon working, so uh, I'm, I'm guessing they want to make sure that they've got all their, you know, their T's crossed and their I's dotted. And, you uh, uh, you know, I can't blame them for wanting to take the time to make sure things are good because they want to go ahead and uh, uh, give NASA a, a feel some semblance of confidence that uh, uh, they can you know, launch on a, on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, again, it's something we're looking forward to. I mean, Dragon is Dragon's definitely fu- going to be the way of the future. Um, and this is the first uh, uh, commercial endeavor that is actually ready to go. So uh, we'll be watching this extraordinarily close as uh, November 8th uh, draws nearer. Um, yeah,
2: and just a reminder, this is, you know, get used to the term, but this is NASA's COTS program, Commercial Orbital Transportation Services. This is the commercialization of space that is part of the, uh, the, the space policy for the U.S. now. And uh, delays sometimes happen.
0: Indeed. And, uh, but, uh, again, this is a developmental Program at this point, but um, we want to make sure that uh, you know, they're, they're they're playing it close to the best, and I can understand that. This hey,
2: do, do you want to? Uh, didn't mean to interrupt you. Do you want to talk about uh, JAXA? So I'm getting. Feel, I'm, so we get there. I mean, we don't want to pick on uh, SpaceX, and you know, we don't want to pick on uh, uh, you know the the ATV and those two all by themselves. So.
0: Yeah, there was an interesting little revelation um, revealed. This is an article on the uh, Nomori Shimbun. And I'm trying to get get a date on the article here real quick. But uh, saying that uh, JAXA has received very few requests from private corporations wanting to lease uh, Kibo on the ISS. Um, so there, that, that could be a problem. I mean, Kibo is a pretty big, you know, Here, okay, the date is September 22nd of 2010. Right. And again, this is from uh, the uh, Numori Shimbun. Um, It's talking about, um, um, just reading here, they're talking about uh, corporations can pay 5.5 million yen per hour to have astronauts from Japan, the United States, or other countries carry out scientific experiments on Kibo. But since there hasn't been a lot of people banging on the doors to to go ahead and, and have a, an experiment rack, uh, fly to, uh, fly to Kibo, um, you know, it kind of makes one wonder what, uh, what's going on there. And they're saying that astronauts are kind of idle. Um, so I believe opportunity back on Mars had something in- had an interesting find.
2: <laughs> yeah. We've, we've talked about, uh, the, uh, MRO, the Mars reconnaissance orbiter before where it's had some, Glitches that uh, essentially put it in a shutdown reboot. They refer to it as a safe mode, a kind of a, a sleep state for the spacecraft. And uh, I don't think they know what happened, but uh, it's the fifth time in two years that it's experienced computer problems. And uh, I read where in August of '09 it went into a safe mode snooze that lasted until December, and I'd kind of forgotten that time frame how extensive that was. But this time, uh, I think the, the safe mode uh, kicked in on the 15th. And uh, oh, when did it come back up? Was it the, I want to say the 20th? I'm not sure if I got that right. But here on the 21st, the article says it's resumed its study. So
0: I think Mros has just shown its age.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's all. Man, mm-hmm. it has it has sent some phenomenal images of Mars, hasn't it?
0: Oh, good Lord, yeah. And we'll continue to do so. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how long uh, the MRO mission was supposed to be. And uh, I don't know when you know it's up for renewal, but they're probably really going to go ahead and renew it. It would be kind of foolish to go ahead and shut off the NASA.
2: <laughs> I read on NASA's page that it completed its primary science phase of operations in November of 2008. Uh, it's been at Mars since 2006, so it's put in over two years uh, for the primary science mission, and it continues to observe to date here in
0: 2010. Speaking of the little engine that could, yeah, yeah, um, little Opportunity found a little bit of a, an interesting surprise in its travels, didn't it, this past <laughs> week?
2: Yeah, I stumbled across this via Twitter, and uh, and somebody that was commenting. About the, uh, the meteorites on Mars. And uh, having a uh, interest in meteorites due to one of our recent shows, I thought, well, what's this all about? And lo and behold, on a blog called The Road to Endeavor, it's actually roadtoendeavor.wordpress.com, there's an interesting collection of meteorites that Oppie has found in its uh, travels. And the blog that I'm referring to is is dedicated to oppy heading from Victoria crater to a much larger much more epic crater referred to as endeavor so uh, the the pictures are quite interesting and they've been enhanced and worked on by the author and uh, it's 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 fascinating to see something like that on another planet isn't it
0: it is yeah you know, I, I saw the pictures you were talking about mark and then And what's really interesting, if you take a look at the the, the photographs, and and we should go ahead and provide a link um, to that uh, that blog page. Um, If you take a look at the the photograph that Opportunity provided, it is really pristine. I mean, it is gorgeous. And it looks like it just got uncovered yesterday, and it's probably been there billions of years. Quite possibly could be true.
2: So. I guess if you don't have a uh, clock next to it indicating time of uh, time of splashdown, yeah. how, do you, how do you tell?
0: Scientists probably figure something out. I bet they've done some science on them already. But for now, we're going to go ahead and uh, call it a show, I guess, Mark. Um, thank you so much for sharing your adventures at, uh, at KSC, and thank you so much for being the eyes and ears of not only of the team but for our listeners. I do really, really appreciate the time you took. And, uh, the experiences you shared with us tonight, I really do. Seriously, it was, it was neat listening to, uh, to everything.
2: All I can say is one thing. Just try and
0: stop me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to more, more of that in the future. Um, uh, it's, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be fun. I, I think we're, we've got a pretty good, uh, we've got some, we've got some surprises lined up. So we'll, uh, that's all I can say right now. <laughs> So uh, so, stay tuned. Again, uh, thank you once more for uh, putting up with us again and listening to us again this week. Um, again, Sawyer, if you're listening, uh, God bless. I hope you're, you get well soon and, uh, and are able to join the team again. We miss you here, buddy. And um, Gina, uh, again, hope, uh, hope things went well tonight, and uh, we will see you next week. And everybody, again, thank you for listening. To, thank you for listening.